Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. As always, I'm Charles, and I'm here with my good friend, Joe. Hey there, Charles. Joe, surprise, upsets, twists, not a week for the gamblers, I wouldn't have thought. Certainly not in the dead cert games. No, absolutely not. In our agenda, our very nerdily called this uh, Aussie Mandius week, look on my works, ye mighty and despair. The mighty have fallen. I think that if you went through most of the talking heads, most of the pundits in the NFL, you would have had the Bills and Chiefs probably in that order, one and two in most power rankings, and both hit L's this week. <laughs> yeah, watch how they swivel and suggest that they predicted that all along. <laughs> <laughs> They always do. They always worm out of it, and everyone's an expert afterwards. But look, um, in fairness, I think most people would have certainly had the Chiefs to beat the Colts. Bills, Dolphins, yeah, the Dolphins looked quite good going into that, but as we discussed on last week's show, we didn't really think they'd carry winning form into a matchup with the Bills, but um, but they did. Yeah, I mean, well, the, I think the most impressive thing with, with the Bills' victory was the fact that Tua was out of it for a good portion of the game and then the parts of the game that he was in he didn't feel 100% in I mean I don't I don't want to dwell on it too much because we've spoken on uh, about it before but you know we talk about concussion and things like that I don't know how he passed the concussion protocol to get back in that game yeah two shouldn't have been on the field and I think that when you are physically concussed like that where you can literally see someone doing a chicken dance and stumbling across the pitch there should be a flat band that when someone shows visible signs of a head injury, then they should just automatically be out for the rest of the game and just be out for a week, at least, and then assessed. Because there's no way that he could have gone into that second half fully it's, it's just It's just not possible to be taking the right precautions coming back into the game like that. Dangerous, man. Totally agree. Um, but that aside... I think one of the things that I found really interesting to watch was, you know, I spoke last week, I said, I don't think that he's going to be able to throw to Hill and Waddle week in, week out. And I didn't think it would happen this week because the Bills defense was looking fierce. He didn't target them all that much this game. But actually what we did see was a lot of what you were talking about, which is the need for them to adapt their game plan. Obviously, their success last week, it was a lot of deep balls. It was a lot of big chunk plays to Hill. And you said this week, the Bills are going to be coming fast. It's going to have to be quick plays out of his hand quickly. And that's very much how Miami were were playing. And I suppose it's quite encouraging to see that that was part of the game plan and that they can adapt in that way. They can play two different styles of football. It shows good coaching and it shows good adaptability to the coaching that the players are under. Look, we said what we said about the injury to Tua and how he was treated, but I think that you've just got to give props to Tua in everything that happened. He played injured. That's not on him, really. A player's are always going to play. It's up to other people to take him off the pitch. So he showed bravery there. He showed adaptability, like you said, and he executed. Now, there are mitigating factors, of course, and I don't want to ham these up too much because everyone who had the power rankings out last week and had the bills up the top, are trying to bring all these mitigating factors out now to justify why they're wrong. Yes, the bills had injuries. Yes, they had almost all of their secondary out. Yes, they had injuries across their offensive line. There were problems there. But it's week three. The attrition already starts. There were players playing hurt for the Dolphins. These things happen. You can't blame games down to injury unless... And it's, you know, it's something catastrophic. And I don't think we're quite at that stage with the bills just yet. 
It's a weather game as well, and I know that sounds kind of crazy in sunshine. We normally talk about weather games when it's snowing, when it's raining, but uh, the weather, the humidity, the heat was up so much that the players are struggling. But again, both players are playing in this. It's not like it was just Miami sunshine that the Dolphins would be used to. It was seeping, choking heat, and both play and, and, and both sets of teams were under that. So the mitigating factors that were there, yes, they played into it, but I think it's quite unfair and protective of people's power rankings to be saying that's the reason why the Bills lost this game. No, I agree. You know, these were two good teams coming into this game. One of them was going to go 3-0. and It was good, proficient football that I think really we saw from both teams. Bills didn't play badly. You know, let's... I think it's really important to give the credit to where the credit's due. Dolphins played well. Bills played well. It was a very tight game and the Dolphins just came out on top. I still think these are two strong teams. Personally, I didn't think the Dolphins were going to have enough to overcome it. It's really encouraging to see that they're able to take that next step. But I think the more important thing for the Bills moving forward now is we said that injury would have had an impact on this game, but it's the injuries moving forward. And one of those areas which we highlighted in week one about the cornerbacks being a thin area for them in terms of depth well yeah so we talked about the secondary as a whole and we said that the cornerbacks the starting cornerbacks for the uh, bills were, were crocs so the safeties would have to step up now those safeties now poyer uh was hurt for this game poyer was carrying an injury hyde is now on ir out for the rest of the season so what has been you know, arguably one of the best safety tandems in the league is fractured, split, broken. Your starting cornerbacks are out. So you're starting two rookies on the edges and you're going to have to find cover at safety as well. There's, there's a lot of question marks there. And I think for the next few weeks, there's going to be an awful lot placed on A, the front seven to not expose the secondary to the deep ball. We've seen how quick, how incisive uh, those seven assassins are for the Bills and getting to the quarterback, but they're going to have to be on that, you know, for full 60 minutes. And then to help that as well, the Bills' offense is going to have to play a certain way, and that's keeping the ball for as long as possible. That's keeping their defense off the field. So A, the front seven stay fit, and B, there's just less time for that secondary to be exposed. It's going to have to have a shift in game plan and a shift in execution. But if the Bills don't adapt to that, then they could really struggle against teams who can who can score with a ball. So with that in mind then, Joe, do you think that the offense has enough to carry this week in defense? Statistically, from you know, the first three weeks, and you know, this is only three weeks, so you can't extrapolate too much. But the Bills offense has been the most efficient in the league in terms of converting on downs. So when the Bills are starting first and ten, eighty-two percent of those plays are going to end in a first down. Now, they do it quite evenly spread. You know, 23% of the time they're getting it on first down, 50% of the time by second down, 78 by third down. And when they have to go on fourth down, 82% of their downs are ending in conversion. And that's the best in the league. Interestingly, the Dolphins were second. But what we've seen from this Bills offense so far is efficiency. They're going to have to keep carrying that. And obviously, as the attrition comes through more, as players get hurt, as wide receivers, rotational pieces can't get onto the field, you're going to have more and more problems doing that. And when teams 
probably see that the Bills are going to have to play for possession of ball and carrying that ball for longer, they're going to obviously adjust and and kind of stop this kind of grinding motion through the field that we've seen from the Bills in the first three weeks. It'll be interesting to see if they can step up in that way, but I think they're going to have to if they want to carry on with this, you know, early season darling top of the power rankings that we've seen so far. Yeah, so as we mentioned, Bills, they were Vegas's favourite team going into the season. I think that it was a slight upset that the Dolphins won, but I think most people expected a fairly close game. One game that I would like to challenge anybody who thought that this was going to be particularly close, Chiefs at Colts. I mean, where did it all go wrong for Kansas City? Anyone who thought this one was going to be close probably needed to get their heads looked at, but they'd have been right. Arguably the most shocking result of the season so far. As I said earlier, the Chiefs were, you know, probably second to the Bills on most people's power rankings, maybe even first. And the Colts have been terrible. The first two weeks, they had that ugly draw to the Texans week one. They got battered by the Jags week two. You know, I'd have probably put them as in the worst two teams in the league, along with the Commanders. But they pulled it together and somehow came away with a win. But I'll challenge you with this, Charles. Can you really can you really name me one Colts player who you thought stood out and had a good game against the Chiefs? Are, are we talking offensively or just in general? Offensively. Can you really think of one player who really stands out for you? Not massively. I mean, I would say that Taylor was quite active in this game, but I wouldn't say that he was, you know, his yardage was necessarily lights out. Uh, he was quite present, but I think that was the Colts trying to manage the game. Taylor, I felt, was, you know, relatively inefficient with the ball. He was averaging 3.4 yards a carry. And yeah, that's what I we mean. We don't want to get too heavy on... Yeah. Yeah, like, we don't want to get too heavy on stats. But if you're a bell cow back and you're averaging 3.4 yards a carry, that's, that's not particularly impressive at all. His, his, his longest run was 13 yards. You know, Taylor didn't really do much ground, like you know, on the ground with a ball. Matt Ryan, yeah, his passer rating was above 100. It was 105, something like that. But Matt Ryan didn't really instill confidence. He ate up five sacks, fumbled the ball twice. All right, he didn't throw an interception, give him that. But it wasn't like this was vintage Matt Ryan. It wasn't like this was the Matt Ryan of 2015, 2016, that Super Bowl run where he was you know, on a level with Drew Brees. There wasn't really one offensive player on the Colts who really stood out for me. But somehow they managed to beat the Chiefs. It's just such a weird game. Yeah, and but I think most people would say, watching that game, they held the Chiefs to 17 points. That was really the root of their success in this game. It was. It was. And I'm not going to take that away. And just, just to throw another stat into the mix, there are only two teams that have not conceded a single point in the fourth quarter so far in 2022. That is the Vikings and the Colts. The Colts, for you know, all the criticism that I was quite happy to lather onto them, are a fourth quarter team. You're, you're not going to score on them, and they play through to the end of games. Now, there's a little bit of it's a little bit of skew in that, because in the game against the Jags, the Jags were probably so far ahead by the fourth quarter, they weren't really stringing effective plays together because the game was won. But still, fourth quarter, Colts are not conceded. We spoke about them last week, and we said that it was a surprise that they were doing as poorly as they were because they've got names on the team. It just seemingly wasn't clicking. Now, I said they looked quite rudderless, whereas, you know, where I identified other teams that had specific issues, they seem to not be clicking in a lot of areas. Here, I think we saw the defence come through for them. 
do you think that we might see fortunes improve for the Colts because they've got the talent there and it just needs to click? Or do you think that consistency is just going to plague them all season and they'll cause an upset here and there like they did with the Chiefs this week, but that's going to happen few and far between? It's a really good question, but I think it's almost impossible to answer without just speculating. We said last week, and I don't remember, we criticized, but we did say last week that they couldn't get worse. That they'd probably hit rock bottom in that loss to the Jags, and the NUA was up. And I wouldn't really call that a um, a blinding piece of foresight, because it was pretty obvious, but that's where we were. Now, they've played better, but as we've touched on, it wasn't like there were any real standout performances on the offense. The defense, you, you make a fair point, they played together well as a unit there. We need to see players stepping up because it is a team game. It's a coach game. They won this game because they were coached well because they they were coached against the Chiefs and the coaching staff should definitely be taking a big part of this W. But teams that make playoffs have big players making big plays and that's just a fact of the game. We haven't really seen enough from Taylor yet. We still haven't seen enough. I would say that generally, generally across the first three games, Matt Ryan's been disappointing so far. He's been playing basically like he's been playing for the Falcons for the last 18 months, two years. Not like retro classic Matt Ryan. And until we have that, you can't just rely on coaching all the way through. We need some performances. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. But it's a really good question, but it would just be speculation to answer one way or the other. Yeah, you see, about Matt Ryan, because I wasn't sure if, a change of scenery might be the type of thing that he needed. You know, he has suffered behind that Falcons O-line tremendously. The amount of hits he's taken over the years. And I thought, do you know what? Colts, half-decent O-line, the kind of change of scenery might bring him to life again. I fear that this is his decline to the end now. As you mentioned, I'd say the last at least two seasons he played at the Falcons, he's not looked good and it feels like that form's continued here. It seems that there's a there's a pattern where Frank Reich is taking below average quarterbacks and thinking that he can change them and thinking that <laughs> he's going to fix them. Um, I, I, like, the quarterback and, whisperer. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, and and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think some of these quarterbacks should be put out to pasture. Um, Long time listeners of the show will know that I am not a fan of Wentz in any way at all. And that certainly didn't work. Let's see on Matt Ryan. Let's see. It's only three games in. We always say on the show we don't want to get too far ahead of things early in the season. Let's make more judgments after after at least a quarter of a season has gone, which isn't the case just yet. But yeah, it, we're going to have to see better from Matt Ryan because if you do believe the hype, if you do believe, I think what, what we believe as well, that there is talent on this team, that there are wide receivers there who are capable of a lot that you do have one of the best running backs in the National Football League with Jonathan Taylor if you do believe these things you need a quarterback to make it all click and all come together and at the minute we're not seeing that so then talking about uh, quarterbacks Joe let's briefly touch on Mahomes and his clash with with the enemy how did you see that this is weird because a lot is being made of this clash because it's Mahomes and he's you know one of the poster boys of the league I felt that his discussion with the enemy wasn't really a clash. Now, more got made of this one than the Quinn and Williams one, which I think definitely was a clash. But Mahomes, I felt, 
was very media savvy when asked about it after the game. Said they disagreed, said that his coach was probably right, but that he just had that in-game desire to win. I think that Mahomes diffused it, handled the situation very well. Now, if you look at the clash that happened between Quinn and Williams and uh, and the defensive line coach, now that was an all-out shouting match with people holding each other back. They, they again tried to downplay that after the game, but... Um, that, that, I felt, was a bigger player-coach clash during week three. And I tell you what, forget about the players, forget about the coaches. Will somebody think of the tablets, Joe? Because we've glossed, <laughs> we've glossed over this with the Bills-Dolphins game, but Dorsey went to town on his tablet. And then I think it was last week, did we see Brady break two tablets against the Saints? And Brady broke two. Yeah, now, so I don't really know if this Microsoft Surface tablet sponsorship for the National Football League is that good. Yes, the exposure is high, but they seem to be pretty fragile by the amount that getting broken. You're absolutely right. Dorsey... Dorsey had a rager when the Bills lost, but, you know, I can understand that. He spent his whole week, his whole life of the last week, game planning to win this game, and they lost it by that close. You know, it's 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 one of those things. Uh, it's passion. He wasn't supposed to be seen. It wasn't supposed to be for the cameras, but there you go. But, um, yeah, other brands of tablet are available. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think, I think if anyone's looking for a savvy marketing technique, iSmash should be advertising during the NFL at the moment. Like... Tablet repair companies, you need to get involved now. Absolutely. I'm not sure if they could afford Brady and their adverts. <laughs> no, no, very true. Why don't we move on then to potentially the last upset, which is the Jags versus the Chargers. Now, I think a lot of people at least were prepared to accept some uncertainty in this game with Herbert and his fractured rib cartilage and... You know, we all thought he wasn't playing, then he was playing, then he might be playing with painkillers, then nobody knew, and sure enough, he turned up on the field. I think that can account for something. You know, you've got to take it into account. But at the end of the day, they look like two different teams from two entirely different leagues, and the Jags were looking like they absolutely were the better team compared to the Chargers. Yeah, like you mentioned, there was uncertainty going into this game with will he, won't he play with Herbert, and it seemed to be all over the place right until right until the kind of starting whistle. And that certainly isn't good for a team uh, with that uncertainty over their heads in practice all week. That's a factor. But uncertainty over your quarterback and whether he's going to start or not, that doesn't excuse giving up 38 points to the Jags. And maybe our narrative over this will change as the season kind of goes on. But in line with, again, not overreacting, the Jags team that we've seen over the last however many years haven't been a high-scoring, dynamic offence. And this Charger defence certainly made them look like that. Yes, there's injuries. Yes, there's players out. We all know that. We've all heard that story. But this Chargers team looks stacked on defence going into the start of the season. You just look down the names Yes, Bozer got hurt, but you've got Bozer, you've got Khalil Mack, you've got Kyle Van Noy, you've got Jackson in there, you've, you've got all these players. Yes, people are hurt, but there's so much class in there. Derwin James Jr., you know, there's all these players. Santi Samuel Jr., there should be enough talent in there that they're not giving up 38 points to the Jags. And yeah, right off the offensive side, you've got Keenan Allen hurt, you've got Herbert hurt. He made some great plays, but he's hurt. You've got those issues there, fine, but... This is just kind of typical charges that there's one element of their game just massively letting them down. And as we've seen a few times previously, it's for defense. 
Yeah, so I suppose that leads me into my next question, where they put 22 points against the Commanders, they put 24 points up against the Colts, and then they put 38 points up against the Chargers. Now, we sort of wrote off the Commanders and the Colts as, do you know what, they're two teams that don't have it together, and let's wait until they come up against a proper challenge. Obviously, mitigating factors here, but... As you mentioned, the Chargers were a team that seemingly had a very good defense. Do we think that the Jags could be a high-scoring team throughout the season, or do we still think they haven't come up against a solid defense yet? Really, really good question. And I'm sorry if I'm going to sound like a broken record on this. We've got to see a little bit more. We've just got to see a bit more. We've got something new here, really, with Trevor Lawrence... Doug Pedersen as the coach there. We've got that new kind of hookup that we've got. You know, you go back you go back just over a season ago, just before the start of last season, and Trevor Lawrence was Jesus Buddha, Muhammad I'm hard, Bruce Lee, going to be the best quarterback that the league had ever seen. And the hype around him was uh, spectacular. Easily in the top three hype of quarterbacks of all time. Maybe that hype was partly justified. Maybe he was stimmied so much last season and he's starting to show what he's all about. Maybe that was the case. He's certainly making players like Zay Jones and Christian Kirk look better than we've seen them elsewhere. Like, you know, Zay Jones, Kirk, they had great stats. They had great stat lines last week. And they've had solid stat lines all season. You know, I want to see a few more games. I want to see what seems all about. It'd be great to see them in London. That's coming up soon. But yeah, I think that we've got to start to give them the benefit of a doubt and not assume that every Jags game is going to be an easy W for the other team. And... Their next game is coming up against the Eagles now. Now, the Eagles only gave away eight points against the Commanders and seven points against the Vikings the week before. Do you think that this week might be the challenge that we need to see to find out whether this is the case or not? Or do we still... Because, I mean, after the Eagles, they've got the Texans, they've got the Colts again. <laughs> you know, it's it's not looking too bad for the Jags. And rightly so, when a team plays as badly as that, then their schedule for next year is often pretty easy. So they've got an easy schedule this year. Good question on the Eagles. And, uh, you know, it's how good do you think the Eagles are? If you think that the Eagles are the NFC favourites, like a lot of people have moved on to now, then, you know, just performing well against the Eagles in itself is achievement. If you're still sus on the Eagles and you believe that there's a little bit of padding there that you maybe believe that that was the worst you've seen Kirk Cousins play for three years that they were playing the Commanders so you know arguably in two of those games they were easier W's than other people might expect then beating the Eagles may not be as impressive it's all the context that you believe the Eagles represent Eagles should represent the toughest challenge I've had so far whichever side of the scale you are on so yeah I think that has the elements to be a pretty exciting fun game Nice. So then talking about exciting and fun games, Joe, let's talk about the London games, because for fans on this side of the pond, we love to see it. Love to see it. Love to see it. Don't love to get to Spurs. I'm not going to lie. That's a common bugbear of mine. But the Vikings are over. As I'm sure you know, I'm very excited about Charles playing the Saints. You know, the Vikings are unbeaten in London games, 2-0. They've beat the Steelers and they've beat the Browns. I was at both of those hoping to make it 3-0 this weekend. Yeah, and I think the Saints pose a very interesting opposition this season. They're a team that are 
sort of playing with house money in a way. They, they, there seems to be no major pressure there, and they're just playing fun, carefree football. Sometimes it goes their way, sometimes it doesn't, but they're certainly a fun team to watch. So I'm hoping that it provides a fun game for us because obviously as a fan, look, we just love to see the teams come over. We love to see them play. We love to see live NFL action, which we rarely get to see as British fans. But there are times where you go to a London game and it's an absolute whitewash and one of the teams doesn't show up and it's just, it's a massive disappointment. I'm really hoping that this isn't one of those games. And I I, I just, I, I look at the kind of team sheets and I think these are two teams that have the potential to go toe-to-toe and it could be very interesting yeah I read an interesting stat today I've not verified this to check it's true but in the what we now nearly 15 years maybe more than 15 years I think it was like 07 when we had the first one in the 15 or so years since we've had London games there's never been two teams playing with winning records it's always been a team with a winning record against a team with a losing record or two teams with losing records. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to get good games. And we by no means should be ungrateful because I think that a lot of people have got a little bit too um, a bit too used to the games being here and a bit too entitled. We're, we're very fortunate to have a games here. Yes, it's a business move. Yes, it's good for the league. Yes, it's making people money. But we don't have to play here. It's a hardship for a lot of the players. A lot of people would just rather not have it. English fans moan like crazy when there was talk of a Premier League game going abroad. So we shouldn't feel any entitlement at all. But yeah, I think you're right, Charles. I think you're absolutely right. It has the potential to be a good one. I'm just hoping it's not one of those games where Winston kind of goes off and throws for 500 yards and six touchdowns, which he does about <laughs> once a season. It's, there's always a danger, isn't there? Or it could go the other way. Always a danger. <laughs> It could go the other way. But but if his, uh, if his laser vision is blaring through, then who knows? Fantastic. Well, Joe, you enjoy that game. I'm not going to be at it, unfortunately, this time around, but I'll be watching from the comfort of my home. And then we're both going to the Packers game the following week. Probably a good thing we're on opposite sides of the stadium because I think we'll... (laughs) Couldn't get further apart. (laughs) Literally couldn't get further apart. Corner to corner. I'm I'm sure whoever's... uh, Whichever of the two teams are winning in that game, the other person will be sending smug text messages across the stadium. So we've got that to look forward to. I'll be giving you a wave. If you do see us at the London game, so do come say hi. We'd love to speak to you. Absolutely. Joe, enjoy the game and we'll speak next week. Speak next week, Charles.